17 years ago today and never in my wildest dreams would my daughter, of course, God give her a voice like she, he gave her because it's not from us. <laughs> but, but also just to pray and to say, Lord, may my daughter use whatever gifts, talents, and abilities, my daughters, my, my son, for your glory. And I, I pray that that will be a continuing theme in all of our, our lives of what God is able to do. Um, in and through us and our families, and, and so thankful for that, and so thankful for the powerful, wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open with me to two different places this morning, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. So Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. And welcome to week 4 of a series that has us walking through the Apostles' Creed, um, which is a statement of belief that um, has continually united the people of God, while at the same time has... Um, continually protected the people of God from, from error that has come into the church. And this morning we come to the phrase, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So in essence, this morning we come to the Christmas story um, in March. And in one sense, as I said last week, I am so thankful that we come to this subject of the birth of Christ without all the pressure, without all the busyness, um, of uh, December, the Christmas season that normally happens. Yet I do recognize that some of you in here might just need a holiday to look forward to in order to be able to rightly think about the birth of Christ. So if that's you, let me just say this. There are several holidays coming up in the next two weeks um, that I'm going to let you know about and that you can um, look forward to those as we contemplate today the, the virgin birth of Christ. Now, these might be little-known holidays, but they're holidays nonetheless. For instance, tomorrow is, get, I love this one, National Chocolate Caramel Day. So grab yourself a Milky Way and have some fun tomorrow. Tomorrow is also, weirdly enough, it's also Poultry Day, but I would not suggest trying to mix the two of those. Um, because a chocolate caramel chicken just doesn't kind of make sense to me at all. But that's coming up tomorrow. Then Tuesday, we have Alien Abduction Day. So go ahead and get out your tinfoil hats and get ready for that. But here's the, the correlation that's kind of weird. Tuesday is also Won't You Be My Neighbor Day, where you're encouraged to go over to your neighbors. So it just so happens that maybe those two correlate. I'm not really sure. Then coming up on Thursday, we have National Goof-Off Day. Now, some of us, like myself, that's every day. Kenny, we, we live in that realm, but uh, we have a reason on Thursday to really go all out. Um, then the 24th, um, Saturday is Be Mad Day. So um, if you're looking for a reason to be mad, Saturday, you don't need one because it's National Be Mad Day. I know some of you maybe live in those circles a whole lot more than others do, but on Saturday, Be Mad Day. <laughs> and work day at the church it might go hand in hand um, next Sunday the 25th is pecan day now some of you are getting mad right now because I said pecan instead of pecan um, I drink a can of coke you might drink a con of coke but for me it is pecan and next Sunday is also waffle day and there's nothing better than pecan waffles so those things just go very, be mad, just be, be mad on Saturday, not today. And then the 30th of March is National Doctor's Day, 
which maybe is a time to celebrate them, but I also believe that if you celebrate all of these things, then probably you need to make a visit to your doctor. Um, that will be a good thing as well. So here are just a few of the holidays to look forward to as we unpack this morning the, the miracle of all miracles. Or as Wayne Grudem, a theologian, theologian said, um, the most amazing miracle in the whole Bible, the fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God would join himself to a human nature forever. So just let that sink in. So most of us in this room are familiar with the narrative of Jesus' birth. We're familiar with the angels who appear to, to Mary, um, to the shepherds, the virgin conception and the virgin birth, the baby in the manger, the um, shepherds that, that come, the gifts of the magi. We know all of those things, but the question remains for us is this. Can these events be trusted, and do these events really matter? Thomas Jefferson uh, wrote a letter to John Adams in 1823 in which he said, The day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus, by the supreme being as his father, in the womb of a virgin, will be classified with a fable of the generation of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter. Now, some say that Thomas Jefferson was a Christian. Um, I don't think he was. Um, you, we can argue that a little later on. He was a deist. He literally went through his Bible and cut out all of the miracles um, that he did not agree with and cut them out of his Bible. So basically, I believe he's saying, I'm looking forward to a day where people will begin to see things the way I see things and the fact that these kind of miracles just didn't happen. But here's the problem. Not only has that happened in this day, in our world, it's begun to happen in the church. There are people who maybe aren't making that declaration or as strong of a declaration, but people in the church are really beginning to teach this doctrine as being unimportant. A few years ago, a mega church pastor who has now gone AWOL from the church um, compared the Christian faith to a trampoline. So just think about trampoline, the death trap that you used to buy your children. So think about that with all of the springs around um, the trampoline. And what this pastor said, what he taught was that the virgin birth or believing in the, all the teachings of Christ um, was kind of like springs. And we could take some of those springs off and the trampoline would still be able to hold us. So basically he said that not all the doctrines of the Bible are that important. We can just remove some of them and we would still be able um, to, be, to be held. And just, just let that sink in for just a second. In the same thought process, recently, um, a very famous megachurch pastor, one who has even spoken in Southern Baptist Convention circles, um, introduced a sermon series um, that was entitled, Who Needs Christmas? with the following statement. Let me just read this to you how he began. One of the challenging things about the Christmas story is, in fact, the Christmas story as it relates to the birth of Jesus, because there's so much amazing, there's so much that's really unbelievable about it. A lot of it, people just don't believe, and I understand that. It's interesting because Matthew gives us a version of the birth of Christ, Luke does, but Mark and John, they don't. Even mention it, and a lot has been made of that. So before we jump in, I just want to say one thing about this whole thing, which is if somebody could predict their own death, and their own resurrection, I'm not all that concerned with how they got into the world. And then he says this, Christianity doesn't hinge on the truth or even the stories about the birth of Christ. 
Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Christ. So the question for us this morning is this. Is that true? Does the virgin birth matter? Can we ignore the teachings that seem too hard for us to believe and grab a hold of the ones that we can understand? Think about this. The issue really isn't what you choose to believe concerning Christ. The issue is what is essential for us to believe concerning Christ. One theologian put it this way, if we do not hold to the virgin birth, despite the fact that the Bible asserts it, then we have compromised the authority of the Bible. And there is, in principle, no reason why we should hold to its other teachings. Thus, rejecting the virgin birth has implications reaching far beyond the doctrine itself. So think about this. If all the doctrines of Scripture are springs of a trampoline, and one or two of them are untrue, then how can we trust the rest of them? If, if one or two of these doctrines that we, one or two that we teach is untrue, then how can we trust? How can we trust the resurrection? How can we trust that Christ is coming again? How, it all falls in upon itself. We cannot claim to believe in the Bible and believe it is God's word and then turn and cast suspicion upon it. Think about this. If we force the word of, of Scripture to fit what we believe, then basically what we're saying is we're the authority over the Bible instead of the, the Bible being authority over, over us. In, in his masterful work, The Person of Christ, Donald McCloyd writes these words, and we're going a little deeper than we normally do, and I think it's a good thing. But he writes these words, and I think this is so powerful. The virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas. And none of us must think of hurrying past it. It stands on the threshold of the New Testament, blatantly supernatural, defying our rationalism, informing us that all that follows belong to the same order as itself, and that if we find it offensive, there is no point in proceeding any further. I love that. If we find this whole picture, the miracle of, of Jesus' birth is blatantly supernatural. And if that offends us, then everything about Jesus' life offends us. Because everything about his life was completely supernatural. Everything had authority over nature, authority over demons, authority over diseases, authority over even sin and death. Just think about that. So the, the Bible doesn't predict or, or, or present, excuse me, the virgin birth as a myth or a legend, but it presents it as a supernatural act of God. C.S. Lewis describes the birth of Christ as an invasion into enemy territory. And let me just say, even today, the enemy is still, even at this point in time, fighting against the only savior of sinners that the world has ever known. The world is still fighting back against that reality so to take any at ease this morning even though I know you know where I stand before we jump in I want to declare with conviction that I as your pastor and every single person on our leadership team believes in the literal virgin conception and virgin birth of Jesus Christ we believe in that with all of our hearts and I would even go as far as to say if you don't believe in that then you have no biblical grounds of calling yourself a Christian just just get it out there um we, we don't get to, as we saw last week, we don't get to make up who Jesus is Does We don't get our own personal Jesus. To all those who received him for who he is and believed on his name, he gave the right for them to be called children of God. We come to Jesus on his terms. So let us, with deep conviction, 
We're going to recite the creed together. And let me remind you that we're going to have fun um, when we get to, um, in a few weeks, the, the picture of he descended, he descended to hell. And we're also going to have fun in a few weeks when we get to the Holy Catholic Church. And when we say that, remember, we're not saying the Roman Catholic Church. We're saying the universal church. So the church from all generations, the church of all ages, um, the church all over the world. So keep that in mind. So go ahead and stand with me, please. We're going to recite this together and then jump in the word and uh, see where it takes us. So... Join me as we declare this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was dead and buried. He descended to hell The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life. Now, if we can turn together and look at Matthew 1. So we're going to kind of uh, unpack these scriptures to, together as we're standing. Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18, it says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, if we can look over at Luke chapter 1. So Luke chapter 1. Second picture we have of the birth of Christ, Luke 1, beginning at verse 26. Luke 1, 26, and it says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, as we come 
Today to your word, we come, Father, with full assurance, God, that what your word says is. What your word says happened. God, I pray today, Lord, that you would just confirm that in every heart, every mind in this room, Lord. And God, help us to leave here knowing, um, Lord, without any doubt whatsoever, that nothing is impossible with you. Lord, help us to leave here trusting you more. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So here's what we kind of acknowledge or must acknowledge. So the, the Bible is filled up with miraculous births of people who um, were meant for specific purposes. So we think about Sarah and Abraham um, miraculously had Isaac. Jacob and Rachel, Rachel who was barren, had Joseph. Manoah and his wife gave birth to, to Samson. Elkanon and Hannah had Samuel. Um, Zechariah and Elizabeth had John the Baptist. So just think about all of those pictures. And in these cases, the Lord opened the womb of, of barren women and provided a child when none seemed possible. So all of these stories are miraculous. They're all miraculous stories, but none of them describe something that is absolutely impossible until we get to Matthew 1 and Luke 1. In this case, in the, or in the case of Jesus, Mary was a virgin who would independent of Joseph, yet dependent on the Holy Spirit, give birth to Jesus, the Savior of the world. Unlike other stories mentioned in the Bible, Mary wasn't, she didn't have giving birth at the top of her prayer list. She didn't have, Lord, I just want to have a child out of wedlock because that's just the thing to do. That wasn't at the top of her prayer list at all. What we're about to see is that God intervened and really God messed up the plans of this Jewish couple. But he messed up their plans in the best possible way, um, for the best possible purpose. For God didn't just open up the womb of Mary. He put life in there. And the life that was within her was eternally God. The one who came on the scene saying, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. One of the great wonders of, of this whole story is not just that God became human, but that God became a baby that omnipotent God suck, sucked his thumb, that omnipotent God messed in his diaper. I mean, just let that sink in for a second. And we don't like to think about that, but that's part of the humanity of Christ. The one who at one time was surrounded by unending praise of angels was cooing and cawing. Just think about that reality. So what I want you to do this morning is just think about how do we understand the fullness of the depth of this story? And we've got very short time to do it. So let's jump in together to this picture. So the majesty um, of God revealed, first of all, in the initiative of God. So the majesty of God is revealed, first of all, in the initiative of God. When we think about Matthew 1 and Luke 1, what we see is God's activity all over this picture. In verse 26, we're told of Luke 1, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to, to Mary. So God sent the angel. In verse 35, it says, the angel answered Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. What's going to be born of you is the Son of God. So follow me here. You have God the Father sending God the Son. You have God the Son being conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit. All of this is a type of what is called divine invasion. It's God showing us all throughout Scripture that God is a God of initiative. God takes 
the initiative. God takes the first step. Think about your salvation, my salvation. Who took the first step? If you think you did, then you've got the whole story out of whack. You did not take the first step. God took the first step. He took the first step towards us. Just think about this. At our rebellion against him, when we rebelled against God, God responded not by leaning away from us as if to go, I'm not touching that. No, God leaned into us. At our rebellion, God sends. Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit conceives and empowers. God is an initiating God, and that is good news for every single person in this room. Let me say something that we might not like to think about. When it comes to us, God got his holy hands dirty. And I'm not meaning... I'm not meaning that God became sinful in any way whatsoever. What I mean is this. David said in in Psalm 40, David said, He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, out of the mud, out of the dirt. He drew me up out of that. Clean, holy hands touching us, leaning in to us. The Bible shows us that it is God who takes the initiative. And just think about it. Jesus was born of the action of God. No one was expecting anything like this to happen. Joseph assumed the worst. Mary was completely dumbfounded. Just follow with me here. First century people, um, they knew every bit as well as we do how babies happen. So um, it wasn't like they're just ignorant and had no... They knew about the birds and the bees. They, they knew about it. So in Matthew's version um, of the story, Joseph heard about Mary, um, her pregnancy, and his problem arose not because he didn't know how things happened. It arose because he did know how things happened. When Mary asked the question, how will this be since I am a virgin, she knew how it worked. And she's saying, how can this possibly happen? And I think the beautiful thing is the questions of Joseph and, and, and Mary help us see the initiative of God. How God is the one doing this. Think about this. God doesn't ask their permission. God doesn't come on the scene saying, hey guys, I'm going to do something and I, I need y'all to figure out a story to make this all work. God doesn't do that. God comes in in a, in a weird kind of way, um, powerfully yet delicately, comes in to save his people from their sins and what we need to see from the story is that God is the one who took the initiative it was not by any human act when we think about the same thing with our salvation we did nothing Mary did nothing except submit herself Joseph did nothing God did it all God did it all God is a God of initiative we Rejoice in the initiative of God. But then secondly, when we think about the majesty of God revealed, secondly, it's revealed in the incarnation of God. So not just in, the, the, not just in, the, in this picture of, of God's initiative, but in the incarnation of God. We come back to verse 35, and we kind of read the, the same thing and hear the same thing. Mary says, how can this be? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The child is going to be holy. It's going to be the Son of God. And what we know is that the doctrine of incarnation means that two distinct natures, divine and human, are united in one person, Jesus. So Jesus is not two different people. He's not God and man. He is one person, the God-man. 
So this is what Scripture tells us. So the, the incarnation is not just one of the most extraordinary miracles in the Bible. It is one of the most profound mysteries of the Bible. I can't get my little pea brain around it. I cannot get my little pea brain around the reality of 100% man, 100% God, and yet um, the, the, some of the creeds say, undoubtedly, this is who he is. Unconfusedly, this is who he is. So the first church said, there's no confusion. This is who he is. And I'm like, there's confusion everywhere in this. We, we can't wrap our heads around this, but this is who he is. In the words of Sam Storms, when the word became flesh, he did not cease to be the word. The word veiled and voluntarily restricted the use of certain prerogatives, but God cannot cease to be God. In other words, when the word became flesh, God did not commit divine suicide. Jesus continued to be God. So from a human standpoint, at the incarnation, the word became flesh. God became human. The invisible became visible. We could see him. The untouchable became touchable. The immutable became mutable in a human standpoint. The unbreakable became fragile. Glory was subjected to shame. Fame turned into obscurity. All of these things and more happened at the coming of Christ. And only through the virgin birth could full humanity and full deity be brought together in one person. And now we talk a lot about the virgin birth, but really the miracle here is the virgin conception. As far as we know, Mary's birth was just like every other woman's birth um, in that day. Um, the development of Jesus in the womb was, as far as we know, just like every other baby. The miracle happened with the virgin conception that took place. So that's what sets Jesus apart. And so what the virgin conception and the virgin birth shows us is, first of all, salvation ultimately must come from the Lord. So salvation must come from the Lord. And then secondly, only through the virgin birth could full deity and full humanity be united in one person. Just think about other ways that God could have done this. God could have just made Jesus in heaven in a human form and then sent him down to earth, not born of a man or woman. But it, we would have a hard time believing that he was human. Or God could have allowed Jesus to be born of Mary and Joseph and then later put his nature within him, but we would have a hard time believing that he was God. The fact that it happened the way it happened shows us that Jesus is fully human. He can sympathize with us in every way, while at the same time he is fully God. He has authority over all things, and he shows us that God can be known. And I know the question, I said this from the beginning, the question of the church today, the question that many in the church are asking is, does the virgin birth really matter? And let me just say this, it matters more than I could ever begin to describe to you. It matters more than I could ever say to you. The fact that Mary was a virgin, that she did not conceive based on an earthly father with a sin nature, but a heavenly father with a divine nature. That's why Jesus was born without sin. That's why he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That's why he was raised from the dead. That's why people all over the New Testament laid down their lives for him. Because he was dead and he rose again and he's alive forevermore. And anyone who calls upon his name shall be saved. All of that is wrapped up in the incarnation of God. It might blow our minds, brothers and sisters, but we must never force it out. We must never force it out. We must always cling to it. 
So we have this amazing picture, the initiative of God, the invitation of God, or excuse me, the incarnation of God, and then lastly, the mystery of God revealed in the invitation of God. So the last truth, the invitation of God. So think about this. What God is doing in this story is really inviting us, first of all, to Christ, but also inviting us to trust him. In Luke 1, 37, after Mary had just said, how in the world can this be? First of all, the angel points her to Elizabeth and the miracle that took place there. But then he says, nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said, behold, I am your servant or the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And I don't know who came to church for, for just this moment. But here's what I know. There, there is some here today who are facing circumstances that are bigger than you. And you need to know in this moment that nothing is impossible with God. You need to know that. Nothing. You need to be reminded of that. Nothing. Whatever it is. I don't know what it is. It is different in all of our lives. But whatever it is, we need to be reminded today that nothing is impossible with our God and our our response to whatever it is needs to echo the words of Mary and her heart. God, I'm your servant. Let it be according to your word. Let you do, God, whatever sees fit for me. But let's be honest. Church is always a good place to be honest, right? So let's be honest. There are times when we don't fully see and understand what God's doing. There's times in my life where it seems like God is slow. Anybody else? Now, some of you are afraid to, you're waiting to see if I get struck down for admitting that, and then, then you'll raise your hand. But there's times where it seems like God is just slow. And I'm like, God, this should have happened yesterday. Come on, come on, let's do this. And God's going, oh, really, again, Micah? Have you not learned this lesson that I make all things beautiful in his time? Have you not learned that yet? But, and unfortunately, not always. I don't learn that. But Think about that reality. There are times where it seems like God isn't on our timetable or God is slow. And in those moments, what should our response be? Do we turn away from the one who brought his son from the womb of a virgin because somehow we think we have a better plan than he does? Who else, among, who else here has done that? You know, none of us have done that. I, I, I read a Kind of a comical but yet a sad statistic this week that of the teenage pregnancies, 1% of teenage pregnancies or 1% of the, the, the teenage girl who is pregnant, 1% um, claim that their birth happened through a virgin conception. So just think about that reality. Now, what we know, the, some of us might think, well, how does that not happen today? Give the child one year and you'll see the depravity of sin all over their lives and you'll know it didn't happen. So just, just so we know. But just think about that reality. Do we know more? Are we able to do more than him? No, our, our response should be, Lord, I, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand all that you are allowing me to go through. But I do know that you're good. I do know you're good. And I will trust and know what, what I know to be true of you is that you can be trusted. You can be trusted. Therefore, I am your servant. Let it be according to your word. And I, I believe with all my heart that 
there are some that maybe are struggling with promises. Maybe you're struggling in this moment to believe that surely goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. You're struggling to believe, according to Isaiah 43, that he has called you by name, or that if you go through the waters, you will not be overwhelmed, and when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Or you're struggling to believe that God works all things together for good. You're struggling to believe that Jeremiah 29, 13, if you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all of your heart. Or maybe you are struggling to believe that um, the promises of, of Romans 8, 32, that he who did not spare his own son, will he not also give us all things? Maybe we're struggling to believe those things. And here's what I know. When I think about salvation, the more that I reflect upon the fact that I did not save myself, but that God saved me, the more confident I am in him. The more confident I am in him. But the more distinguished role that we are led to believe that we played, the more we begin to question the hand and the power of God. Let me just go ahead real quick and, and call witness number one to the stand. Here's my witness, you. So you are my witness on the stand. You know you. So we know us, and here's what we know. I know me, and let me make a confession. If my salvation depended any upon me, there is 100% chance I would mess it up. I would mess it up. And guess what? So would you. You would mess it up. That's what we do. But the beautiful picture, brothers and sisters, is God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He did through his son what we could never do. So therefore, he has saved us. He keeps us. And there is security and trust in that. I think of the words the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And the Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He who started it, took the initiative in it, he will finish it. This is the promise that we have of him. Our God started it. He initiated it. There's nothing impossible for him. Therefore, he will keep us. He will finish what he started. I tell you, one of the most absolutely absurd things that we can do is trust God for our eternal security in the future and refuse to trust him for today. We can Listen, if we can trust God with the greater, our eternal security, we can trust him with tomorrow. Amen? We can trust him with Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And the next day after that, so let me end in this way. The God who took initiative, who began the work in us, the God who enabled and guaranteed that work in us by sending his son, who lived, who was born a way we've never been born, who lived a life that we could never live, who died a death we could never die, who conquered an enemy that we could never conquer. Is the God, that God, is the God who is inviting us in this moment trust him to trust him with the impossible situations of our lives he is trustworthy oh he's trustworthy i wish i could i wish i could get you to believe that more than you do this morning he's trustworthy we can trust him when you don't know why god is doing what he is doing you can trust his heart you can trust his character you can trust he is the one who 
does not change, will not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's good news for us forever. <laughs> good news for us forever. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And we're going to call everyone forward as we enter into this time of invitation. But let me just say this. Whatever God is telling us in this moment, I pray that we would respond in a, in a way that brings glory to him. Maybe, just maybe, the holy moment for you is the impossible situation that you're facing. And in that possible situation, you need to hear and know that nothing is impossible with him. I tell you, if, if nothing else is accomplished today, my prayer over this service is that we as, as God's people would leave here today believing that more than when we walked in. Believing that nothing is impossible with him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We believe every bit of it, Father, because you are not a man that you can lie. Therefore, what you have declared is true. It's certain, God, we can bank on it. And we thank you for just the beautiful way by which you sent your son, the God-man, to come on a rescue mission for us. Father, we pray that we would understand the beautiful reality of it all and believe that at the same time in our own circumstances and lives, believe and know that nothing is too difficult for you. Lord, help us to believe that, God, like never before, to know that in our hearts and our minds. Nothing is impossible with you. Lord, just finish this time in Jesus' name. Amen.